And now for something purposely positive. Welcome to Strive to Thrive, the Purposely Positive Podcast, brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. This is Tony Wexler, your host, and on this podcast, we talk about positive issues to bring positive content into the world. Life throws us unexpected challenges, but how we respond to them can redefine our journey. On today's episode, we're going to explore the power of adaptability and perspective that can transform even the most daunting emergencies into mere inconveniences. To help me with this, I want to welcome my amazing new friend, Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, and this is going to be a fun topic today. It's something that I've wanted to discuss for a while. So before we get into the topic, tell us a little bit about your story and how talking about turning emergencies into inconveniences really resonates with you. Well, my story starts in 2008. So anybody who's old enough remembers 2008. And and what a lot of people don't know is that at the same time as the housing crisis, there was also a wheat shortage. And I had just gotten married and I was just starting my own home and uh, you couldn't buy, there was limits on buying wheat at the store. There was limits on buying flour. And I was talking to my mom who had been doing food storage uh, almost my whole life. And she's like, there's only two of you. It would be so easy for you to get started with food storage because when she got started, there was five of us. And so I talked with my husband and we just used some of our wedding money to buy the basics. One of the things that really kind of cemented this decision as being important right now was there was a multi-million dollar home that was in foreclosure. And uh, one of my teachers said, all this, all of this money, all of this room, and they weren't prepared for what was coming. I think that sometimes we, we think that if we have money, then that'll take care of everything else. And there are times when money can't get you what you need. So because of the the wheat shortage, when we went to buy our food storage, we had all of the money right away because we were using our wedding money. And it still took us three months to get everything because uh, my mom was helping us buy it. So she would go into town every week and buy one box every week because that was all that was allowed because of the shortages. And so that really cemented to me that it you could have all the money in the world and it doesn't matter sometimes because you some of these things you have to have in advance of the emergency. And so I started trying to tell all my friends and all my family, they got kind of sick of it and I gave up and then COVID came and then all of a sudden people cared again. <laughs> people wanted to hear because COVID was scary and uh-huh. it doesn't matter how you think about what happened afterwards, right? And how it all shook out and how it was handled. The beginning days, um, I think a lot of people forget just how scary that was because we didn't know anything. We were prepared mostly. There were there were holes. I was able to, to find some holes, but I was also able to help other people and other people were able to help me. And so after COVID, um, I decided to wanted to start a business and I just kept coming back to, I wish I could teach people about food storage because there isn't anybody who does 
exactly what I'm trying to do. There's lots of people on YouTube and with blogs, but I really want to go the coaching route. And so that's why I was like, you know what? Finally, I was like, I want, this is what I want to do. So I love that. I mean, you, you had a passion for it because of your experiences and really found out it's what you wanted to do. And now you're out there doing what you love and what makes you happy. I can just see. And the sad part is the listeners can't see you here as I can, but I can see when you talk about this topic, you just light up and you're so energized by it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Back to the whole topic of storing food and being prepared in emergencies. That is great because that's how we do turn emergencies into inconveniences. Because when something like this happens, I mean, we think about what happens if X or Y, you know, I mean, we prepare for certain emergencies. We buy insurance. We have like car insurance, home insurance. We have to have these things because I live in New York state. And if you don't have auto insurance, you know, you can't register your car. You need to have homeowner's insurance if you want to get a mortgage. So we're made to buy these things. So we're used to buying them, but we're not used to taking the precautions that we can each do individually. And I know in 2023, as we're recording this podcast, we've had for the last few years, a lot of these supply chain issues where you go to the grocery store and you can't find certain foods, you can't find certain products. And that can get really scary. I know for me, I did something and it's something that I've been doing for a while and that's celery juice. What I do is I take my celery and I juice it because celery juice has so many amazing health benefits. But for the last eight months, I haven't been able to do that because I just cannot find good celery. I mean, I can find celery in the store, but when I juice it, you know, I used to get out of one whole bundle of celery, I would basically be able to get probably two two full 16, 12 to 16 ounce glasses of celery juice. Now it's like it barely gives me a glass, a whole bundle of the celery is not. So I haven't been able to do that. But, you know, the point I'm getting at is that the quality of the food has been going down a lot and the supply has been going down. So what happens if someday, you know, you can't get to the grocery store or you have some kind of natural disaster where you can't get out of your house. What are you going to do? So I think preparing for that is really important. What would be some of the first steps that somebody would take if they want to start doing this? If you were to coach me in how to do this food storage and how to prepare for those emergencies, what would be the first thing you'd tell? I usually have people think about first what's important to them. Not everybody wants to prepare for the same thing. So some people will talk about like zombie apocalypse. That's a very common thing in the, it's just a euphemism, but you know, zombie apocalypse. And then normal people are like, that's not going to happen. And then they don't do anything because all they can see is the extremes that other people are preparing for. And they don't see the normal things that really everybody should be prepared for like job loss, right? We used our food storage when my husband lost his job um, in 2009 because of the housing crisis. 
So um, I think figuring out what it is that you're worried about, um, because that's different for everybody. You know, the natural disasters in my area are different than the natural disasters in your area. We don't have hurricanes here. We do have blizzards, but they're not quite the same because we have so much snow. It's just kind of a a normal thing. And so uh, rural areas I found tend to be more preparedness mindset because they have to be like sometimes you just can't get to the store. It's just a normal part of life. You know, 50 years ago, everybody had it like that, too. You, Everybody had gardens. One of the things you do is you figure out, what is it that I'm actually worried about? Am I worried about another COVID? Because um, that's going to look different than, uh, you know, preparing for a zombie apocalypse. The other thing is, is to figure out, like, what is important to you as far as food goes. You know, so for you, that might be celery juice. <laughs> and figuring out if, if powdered celery juice would make an acceptable like powdered greens drink substitute, or if that wouldn't be good enough, or if you would want to go into like maybe hydroponics. The other thing is, is figuring out how much work do you want to put into this? Because there is a whole level of, there are lots of different tiers that you can go from just, I've got some food to this is my life and I have a bunker, you know? And so (laughs) figuring out how much of a hobby you want this to be, how much time you want it to be, how much maintenance you want to to perform on it because anything you do is going to require maintenance it is food but a lot of the food can last forever but you're going to be using forever foods differently than you would uh like canned goods so i say that one of the first things you do is you look at what you eat and this is what i did when i when i first got my food storage i was like what do i eat at the time we eat a lot of box food okay we were eating tuna tuna helper and mac and cheese and i was like okay if i couldn't get to the store what would I need in order to use the food I already have in my house? And for me, that was um, powdered milk. So if I couldn't get milk, I would want powdered milk and then I could cook with it. So I bought a can of powdered milk and I also bought some butter from my freezer and a can of powdered butter, which I never use. I just use the, the, the frozen butter. And then I also thought, what would I be really sad if I couldn't have? And the answer to that was um, gingerbread men, (laughs) gingerbread cookies. And so I bought a lot of molasses, like a lot, a lot of molasses and a lot of ginger. And then, oh, and some powdered sugar for frosting. Because I was like, if there's an emergency and I have to cook, I want to cook what I like. So I made sure that I had the ingredients to cook the things that I actually like. And I picked ingredients that will last a long time. Molasses doesn't go bad it lasts forever. Sugar doesn't go bad as long as you store it properly. And so learning about food, I guess some of it depends on like your knowledge. There are some people who throw away food that's perfectly good because they're like, oh, the expiration date came about. Look, they put expiration dates on salt. Okay. Like some of those do not, they're just pretty much government regulations. They don't actually mean anything about the food. And so um, learning a little bit about uh, food longevity and, and food storage, and then looking around at what you eat and what you would do if you couldn't go to the store. Got it. I like what you brought up in the beginning about knowing what type of emergency you're going to prepare for. I think that's where it starts because yes, most people do go to that extreme level. They go, Oh, you know, zombie apocalypse or a nuclear disaster or the electrical grid gets shut down, something like that. And that's the emergency. But it could be just a simple emergency of maybe you get uh, like here in the northeast where I live. I live in New York State and we have blizzards here or down in Florida. You know, they get the hurricanes. So it could be a weather disaster. And then you have to figure out. And I think you'd probably have to look at 
are you going to be able to cook or not? Because I think that's a big thing. I mean, if you're going to be without power, then you're going to have to design your food storage around foods and have those foods in there that you don't have to worry about cooking or you have a way to cook them. Maybe you have a propane stove somewhere in your house that you can hook up to a propane tank, something like that, uh, a way to prepare that. Then picking out the types of food that you like. I like the way you went through and you said, what do I eat on a weekly basis? You know, what are my favorite things? How can I prepare these things? So those are all great tips. Once you sit down and determine what your emergency is and what the food is going to be, uh, what would be the next step? And is there anything that I just mentioned that uh, you wanted to uh, elaborate on a little bit? Well, I like how you talked about cooking, like it, preparing for a, a blizzard or a tornado is actually very different than preparing for job loss. Now, some of the, there's a Venn diagram, right? Sometimes there's, there's overlapping things. And I feel like sometimes people get caught up of, well, why would you store wheat when, you know, how are you going to make bread in a blizzard? Well, I won't make bread in the blizzard, but I could make bread in a during a job loss, right? And so keeping in mind that there's different levels and that starting with the bottom level is okay, because that's one of the other things that the extreme does is it kind of discourages people where, well, they're like, well, what are you going to do when somebody comes to steal it? What are you going to do when you run out of your food storage and you'll just die? And it's like, well, then I'll just die. Okay. Like, like <laughs> some point everybody dies and that's okay. But my efforts aren't worth nothing just because they're not for everything. Right. And so um, there's a lot like very basic having a little bit extra of different foods in your home can help when you are strapped for cash and you have to pay extra bills. It can help for if you lose your job. It can help if you have unexpected visitors and your food budget's kind of tight. Right. Like and so there are little things that you can do that are actually very widely applicable and then what you can do is, is then if you're like, well, but if I had this, then it would make my life a lot easier. Or I really am worried about this. So I really do want to get a solar oven. I have a solar oven because I can't cook in my house in the summer. It's too hot and mm -hmm. it doubles for preparedness, but I love it during the summer. And so there's different levels that you can go, but you want to start with the beginning and then see what is it that I'm, some people really are worried about blizzards and that's where they want to start and that's fine. And then maybe you're going to focus on those cute little Cerno stoves or the butane burners and you'll want to have, you know, like canned goods that you can just heat up in a, in a pot. And, and so there's, there's different levels, but for sure, like keeping in mind that your small efforts matter. And now I forgot what your question was. <laughs> oh, just about how, how you determine which particular type of food that you're going to start storing, uh, whether it be for those emergencies like the job losses or the emergencies like the blizzard or whatever you have a power failure where you can't have power or things like that. I mean, there, there's talk about a grid shutdown that could possibly happen. Uh, and there, there's all kinds of talks about, you know, people, foreign governments hacking into the computer systems. And, you know, I mean, this stuff is stuff that people don't talk about. And we like to promote positive content here. And I believe we are. I mean, we, but we have to be realistic and say, you know what, there are emergencies that can happen. And it doesn't have to be the most extreme emergencies. But I was kind of trying to get an idea of what you think is a reasonable amount of food to start storing. The other area would be where do you keep it? Because you're going to want to keep it in a place where it's going to, where it's not going to go bad. I mean, some basements 
are damp and then some people don't even have basements so do you keep it in your pantry do you stick it away somewhere do you put it in a tote somewhere uh there's a lot of questions that come to mind and i'm sure people listening are probably asking the same questions what do you do with all this food where do you put it that was a lot of questions and and there is hours and hours and hours of content that can be talked about with that. Um, and I do actually have uh, some free resources for some of these things. So I will say there's there's two main types of food storage. There's the eat what you store, store what you eat. A lot of the boomers, for lack of a better word, in the food storage community will do it that way because they watch their parents throw away wheat and never use it. And so now they're like, you got to store what you eat, eat what you store, which works really well if you have kind of a standard boomer diet. You know, you eat a lot of canned goods, you eat a lot of pasta, and those things will last really well and you can rotate them. And so um, if you look at, if you have a menu plan and that menu plan has a fair amount of shelf-stable ingredients or ingredients that can be shelf-stable. So for example, if you usually eat fresh broccoli, but you'd be okay with canned green beans, then you can, you know, substitute the canned green beans. Uh, the other thing is, is deciding how you look at it. Is this a, a rotating cushion of food that you are working through? Or is this food insurance, it, you know, just like regular insurance that you don't really want to have to use, but you will if you have to. And that works yeah. a lot better for people who can really eat anything. You know, if you've got pretty strong constitution and you can just eat whatever food, then yeah, put away some rice and beans and put it in under your bed. <laughs> I would say that the bare minimum that people should start with is a three month supply. And to a lot of people, that sounds like so much food because we've just become so used to this just in time inventory system that we have. Um, I used to work at a grocery store and we could not keep the shelves stocked for Christmas. Okay. And Christmas comes every year. We prepared in advance for it. So when I see people be like, oh yeah, the stores will be out of food in a couple of days in an emergency. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> a couple of days. You are way optimistic. That is not even close to how long it'll last. Like the store only has a couple of days worth of food at any one time, period, because that's how stores work now. That's not how they used to work, but that's how they work now. And so I am telling you, I mean, will it be completely out of food? No, I'm sure that there will be cans of sardines somewhere. But is it food you're going to want? No. All the food that you will want will be gone in hours, if not minutes, depending on the emergency. We can see this in Florida whenever a hurricane happens. Yes. You know, bread and milk is always gone immediately. And people always wonder why. And it's because bread and milk is the thing. Oh, I have cereal at home. I need milk. Oh, we can make sandwiches if we can't cook. Therefore, I need bread. And it's not it's not rocket science once you know how emergencies work and how people think yes. so a bare minimum really is three months like that's where you start if you have to start with six weeks because oh, there's, there's a lot of mindset things that go around nowadays especially with storing food like am i a hoarder no you're not you're not a hoarder okay hoarding is when you grab is when you clear out the grocery store during the emergency preparing right. is when you're extending your food supply into the future by preparing in advance it's not hoarding um but if you know three months really freaks you out start with six weeks but six weeks is the super bare minimum and then you have the three month supply which is a really good one if you're going to rotate then you a three month supply is usually a pretty comfortable amount that you can rotate within the amount of time before it goes bad six months to a year is actually a very wise amount to store part of that is because of the way that our crops work some things only come once a year and if you're that crop fails and we forget that crops can fail but they still do. We're a little bit insulated from it nowadays because of 
you know, worldwide shipping. And also because of food supplies, people don't realize that our country essentially has food storage. And that was what uh, we used yes. during COVID is we have these giant freezer reserves. And so the fresh food, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it gets processed into frozen food and, and processed food, but a lot of it also goes to like the restaurants. And since it wasn't doing that, it was getting wasted. Anyways, that's a whole nother thing. There's so many things to talk about with the, the supply chain issues that we realized happened during COVID. Like if a crop fails, you need another year before you can have a crack at that sh- crop again for most things. And so having a year supply seems like so much. And it, it, it's especially depending on your family size, right? For a family of seven, that's a lot of food. But for a family of two, it really doesn't have to be that much. And it's very doable, especially when you learn what kinds of foods store well. Um, you do need a dry, dark and a cool location. So if you're like, oh, can I put it in my garage? No, no, you cannot. It will, so anytime time you get like the, the long-term food storage and they're like, it'll last for 25 years. That's 25 years as long as it doesn't get hot. As soon as you put it in the hot, you're down to like a couple years max. And right. so a lot of people will put things in their house that don't need to be cool into the garage. And then then they can have that space in the house for their food. There are tons of places to put food storage once you start to think out of the box and once you decide that it's a priority. So deciding that this is my food insurance and it's just as important as my home insurance and it's just as important as my life insurance and it's just as important as my health insurance. Therefore, it needs to be in my home. Where am I going to put it? And then you make sacrifices. And sometimes those sacrifices are aesthetic. So growing up, we had a freezer in our dining room, a big, big, giant chest freezer in our dining room. And looking back, I can see how that wasn't very Pinterest, Pinteresty, right? But it was a huge blessing because you can get butter when it's on sale and stick it in the freezer. You can get cheese when it's on sale and stick it in the in the freezer. And we were really poor. And so that was a huge help. And it didn't matter that it was ugly and that it was in the middle of our dining room. We actually loved it because we would race our cars across the top. <laughs> and so thinking outside of the box, like, do you want a giant freezer? Where can it go? Like, is, does it, do you care that it's ugly? You know, people get really creative, but a very standard one is to put it under your bed. You want to w- watch out for, for weight limits if you're doing anything heavy. I have food storage under our bed and I have slept on food storage beds. Like some people will make their bed out of food storage. It's a running joke in our state about coming home and having to sleep on a food storage bed. But um, you can put it in your closet, although you want to make sure that it's not a south-facing closet because I put food in a south-facing closet once and it went bad in a few months. And I was like, oh, well, that's good to know. So heat really is heat and light and damp. Although with a damp basement, if you put it in correct packaging, so unless it's like super, super damp, Now, to be fair, I live in an arid environment, okay? And so we don't have a lot of damp, but my basement's a little bit damp, right? And so what we do is we have it off the ground, which you kind of want to do anyway. So we have these, those big plastic garage mats on the floor. And then the, we have uh, number 10 cans, which are the restaurant size of cans, um, metal cans in boxes. And we have those stacked and we just make sure that they don't touch the floor or don't touch the concrete. And then they usually stay pretty dry. Um, buckets can go down there. If it's packaged properly, then it usually doesn't matter how damp your area is because you can put in oxygen absorbers and you can buy all these things pre-done as well. But some people like to do it themselves. But you want to make sure that it does not get hot and, and then also that it doesn't have light shining on it. 
Right. Well, I was just thinking about that when you were talking. Uh, you can actually go on to companies like Amazon and you can buy the MREs uh, mm -hmm. and order those types of things. And you can store those if you want. And they're actually relatively inexpensive than, you know, than what you would think. Then there's also gardening, which has become increasingly popular uh, all over the U.S. And I'm not sure how this is in other parts of the world, but yeah, gardening, I mean, even in-house gardening, people are putting like plants, uh, tomato plants and different things inside their own home. You don't actually have to have a um, a large yard to do that. You can do your gardening in pots on your patio. Um, people in urban areas are doing that. So I think that's great that that's become very popular. Going back to the supply chain, I mean, I remember during COVID, the whole thing, you couldn't even get toilet paper for a while. I mean, there were jokes around toilet paper is going to be the new currency. So it's... Do you uh, know why you couldn't get toilet paper? Oh, that no, I have no idea. Because it wasn't hoarders. That's not why. Everybody was blaming it on hoarders. Oh, stop hoarding the toilet paper. Oh, what do you need all the toilet paper for? It's because... At first, there was a little bit of, of hoarding. Um, but actually, it's because there are two separate toilet paper supply chains. There is residential toilet paper and there's commercial toilet paper. And so when everything shut down, all of a sudden you had all these people who were using commercial toilet paper during the day, now using residential toilet paper during the day. And so oh. if you had one case would last you a whole year. Now, all of a sudden you've gone through it in a couple of weeks because all of you are home because all of you were using commercial toilet paper and they're not the same supply chain. And so they couldn't figure out how to get the commercial toilet paper to the residential areas. And eventually my mom works at a store. They were able to get a, a pallet of commercial toilet paper. They just set it out on the floor. Like it's not going to fit on anybody's holder. It didn't matter. It was gone in 15 minutes. The whole pallet was gone. And it took them, that was weeks. There was, it, that was weeks after the, the shortage had started. It took so long. And so it was a supply chain issue, not a hoarding issue. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of people did think it was the hoarding. Same thing with the paper towels. And it was those types of things that you couldn't get in a lot of the stores. And I, I do yeah. remember in the produce sections, I mean, some some places were like, wow, there's like no food here. So I think a lot of people have been reminded that, hey, even though we live here, I mean, and again, I know I have people from all over the world listening to this podcast, but here in the United States, you think that we're the land of plenty, but you start having some of these issues and these tractor trailers can't deliver everything to the stores on time. And that can be, uh, that can definitely be an issue. So I want to just go back again to the basics. So if you're starting out, basically put together a list of the things that you like to eat and the things that might be, uh, that you may be able to store for long periods of time. You know, for example, I mean, if you like eating, let's just, say you like pizza well so you're gonna have to buy maybe frozen pizzas or something like that that's just an example now that is assuming that you're gonna have the electricity and you're gonna be able to store all this stuff in the freezer because if you have all this stuff in a freezer and that's the thing that i've always been concerned about with freezers if you lose your electricity then what are you gonna do well i have a little trick that i figured out Although I guess if I run out of gas, it's going to be a problem. But I have this little adapter that I can pull. I don't have a generator, but I have a car, which is essentially the same thing. 
I have a little adapter that I can plug into the old, well, we still call them cigarette lighters, but I guess they're the, um, what do they call them now? There's a new name for them, utility thing, uh, whatever. You plug that into your into your car and it'll convert your, your DC power to AC power and you can plug something in. I mean, I've done this on trips, plugging in your laptop to charge it in the car, things like that. So... If we lose power here for a long period of time and I'm worried about things like the sump pump or the refrigerator or even the furnace running, what I can do is I just open up my garage door, I exhaust my car so we're not going to you know, get killed by the exhaust fumes, and I can run an extension cord, start my car, I can run my car for you know about a half an hour, which will keep the refrigerator cold. It'll give me time to run the cord downstairs and run the sump pump so that that gets drained so I don't get flooding in the basement. But fortunately, I haven't had to use this method, but if I needed to, I could do that. Anyway, back to you know what I was getting at is that you know a freezer full of food is only good if you have the power and the electricity. How do you divide it up? I mean, uh, and, and what happens if you do have a freezer full of food and you have to start using the food. Okay. So there's a lot going on there. I tend to ask long questions. (laughs) No, it's not that it's long questions. It's that this is like hours and hours of coaching. Of course. (laughs) That's right. You just get free coaching. Everybody gets to listen in, but, but there's a lot going on. So I love your idea of the charging from your car, I'm totally going to have to get one of these. There's different, to me, the answer is that there's different levels of preparedness. Okay. And so I have my, this works for things like COVID and job loss. Okay. And so that's my freezer. My freezer works for, for COVID and job loss and also for my normal life, you know, just to smooth out bumps and to make it so that my life is easier. If I forget to buy vegetables, I just go down and get a bag of frozen broccoli. And that helps my life a ton. And that's why the second part of my slogan, like turning emergencies into inconveniences and inconveniences into no big deal. Is it inconvenient that I forgot vegetables? Not if I have them in the freezer, you know, that's not a big deal. And so that's why there's different levels of this. You've got your normal life. I rotate this. This is as long as I have power that I kind of divide it up with power. As long as the world at large is going somewhat normally right so because even though we had COVID and it was it was crazy it my favorite description of it's like the apocalypse but with starbucks still <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> this is weird the world's ending but i can still go pick up my my floriberto's burritos so i don't know where to go with this so you know the world was was different but also the same and so as long as the world at large is still somewhat functioning and that applies to economic things and and uh, job loss and COVID, weirdly enough, then having extra food that you can prepare in a normal way is still a valuable form of food storage. Okay. And then you also have short-term disasters. It's finally funny because when you said, if my power goes off for a long time, that's not the words that I would have used for what you were describing, because you were describing, I would say more of a short-term disaster. And I know that's different than like, oh, my power goes out for like a day. My, my freezer will be fine because it's full. The fridge might, might be okay. We'll have to see, you know, what's in there. But like more than a, more than a day would be considered a long time, except not. I'll preface that because here in Rochester, New York, and this was going back a number of years ago, um, back in the early 1990s, there was an ice storm that occurred 
And we actually lost power for um, a lot of people were without power for several weeks because mm. of the ice storm. Fortunately, yeah. it happened during the winter time, so certain things could be stored outside. outside. Yeah. And a lot of people did that, although we did get a little bit of a warm up in there uh, where you couldn't do that. But that was when a lot of people all of a sudden started buying these in-home generators. Uh, we had a lot of people that had generator disasters, too, because they did not know how to use it. They, they put their generator in their garage, not realizing oh. that those exhaust fumes could you know, could kill you. So you really have to be knowledgeable in, in this yeah. kind of thing. So I guess when I said, you know, your power out for a long time, that was kind of what I was thinking. Uh, I wasn't necessarily thinking the uh, the zombie apocalypse yeah. or, no, uh, I... or even or even the uh, problem with, with the power grid. What I was more thinking is, is I remember the, I don't know if you remember the derecho, which was the hurricane force winds that came through the Midwest a couple of years ago. I think it yes. was also during COVID. They were without power for several weeks. And um, I guess it would depend on the gas mileage of your car. I can't imagine my car being able to keep my generator going for more than a few days, yes. but maybe it depends on how many vehicles you have and stuff. So for me, more than a couple of days um, becomes a long time. And that's when you have to really start thinking outside of the box. Some people, they're like, oh, I'll just can all my meat. Or if if I have an emergency and I'm like, good luck, good luck with that. I mean, that's an okay plan, depending on what type of an emergency it is. Some people, for, for me, I'm like, we will just have a barbecue. We will fire up the grill and it'll I'll invite all of our neighbors and they'll be like, come have some steaks and vegetables and all of it. We'll just have a party. And uh, they actually did that in the show. Jericho was like, we're just all going to go bad anyways. Let's just eat it all. And so that's kind of my plan. But my freezer, and I've lost the freezer before, all the meat in the freezer because the power went out. It sucks. It's expensive, but it is what it is. And so when you look at it more like food insurance and also like a daily part of your life, then if it's something that you're super concerned. So the things that you're talking about, are really more of, I don't want to say like more extreme stuff, but it's, it's looking at more of those scenarios that I don't even want to say less likely anybody who watches the news. You're like, let's, when you mentioned nuclear, it's like, there was a time when I was like, what am I going to do? You know, yeah. if Russia does this and, and well, so that's why I stopped watching the news. <laughs> oh, same, same. But you know, I've got years of news filed in my brain. And so I'm well aware of the things that can and do happen. To some extent, I don't like using the word extreme because you can actually use the word, I would say resilient. There's a there's a Venn diagram, there's an intersection with the sustainability and the green movement and the preparedness movement. That's actually how I got into sustainability and green stuff. It's also how I got into health stuff. There's all this Venn diagram because once you really start thinking about it, and some people don't want to think about it, and that and because it turns them off and like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I do. Okay, that's fine. Just get some food that you can use if you lose your job, right? Consider it part of your savings, right? You've, if you've got a three to six month savings, also having a three to six month supply of food extends your savings because now you don't have to use that savings to buy food. And so really what you've done is you've pre-positioned the food that you would have used with, used your money with, okay? But it doesn't take very long of looking around to be like, what would I do? You know, what if it does go out for a few weeks? My car isn't going to be enough to get through all of it. Uh, you know, am I just going to have a meal plan where I use up my food in the freezer? Or am I going to have a bigger generator? Like, or do I want solar panels, right? There are people who buy solar panels for preparedness purposes. You got to also get the, the battery if you're going to do that. 
a garden, a lot of people will do for preparedness purposes. Now I will say a garden is not food storage because like we said, crops can still fail. And I feel like, again, even home gardeners are still kind of insulated from that because when your crops fail, it's not as noticeable because you just go get from the, some from the store. Sure. But uh, a garden can be part of a sustainable lifestyle. It can help you to be more resilient. You can use your garden to build your food storage. And so a lot of it depends on what you're willing to do, how you're willing to change your life, what kind of measures you're willing to put in place, and also what your budget is, right? And so we don't have a generator because that's not in our budget. We do have a freezer. And if it goes out, that has to be okay, because that's, that's what we can do. And so I think figuring out what is it that I can do now? What is it I want to save for? What is it I'd really like to eventually do? I have a long list of sustainability things. And some of it's because it'd be really nice for preparedness purposes. But some of it's also because sustainability is important to me. I would love to make it so that my house doesn't use as much fuel to heat. That would be really cool, because I care about that. And so there's a huge list of things that you can do, but I think a lot of those are beyond what normal people want to get started with in part because it just becomes so overwhelming. Like, like you were saying, like, what happens if this, what happens if this, what happens is this. And right. so it gets overwhelming for a new person. So starting with food that I can cook, that, that I'll be assuming that I can cook things unless you're planning for natural disasters. And that is a different thing. And so then you might want to get some MREs and make sure that your propane tanks are always stocked up and, and stuff like that. But you want to start with something that doesn't have to be overwhelming and can be generally useful. And then, like I said, there's tons of information. Like if you want to make this your hobby, you can do that. You can go off into YouTube land. It, it's hard because... There are some YouTubers who are really great about not being doom and gloom. Provident Preppers are one of them. I love them. And they're all about being part of the solution. And they're just really cute and upbeat and chipper. And they talk about food storage and they're adorable and they're a great resource. And they've got books and there's tons of websites. And that's why I like the term uh, to tell people about the term food storage rather than preppers. Because once you get into prepper land, and that's kind of why I wanted to develop my own program too, is because I've seen so many people turned off by Prepperland, like, well, that's not going to happen. Or I don't want to worry about things that are that scary. Even, it doesn't even matter if they're possible. It's sure. like the people who, you know, find a lump and they don't want to go to the doctor yeah. <laughs> because they're scared. You know, it's like, what, what to some of us, it, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. But then I've had experiences where I'm like, oh, I, I get it now. Like, I don't. I, it doesn't matter if it's imminent. I can't even deal with it. And so we're just mm -hmm. not going to worry about it. I can't do it right now. And so there's tons of resources. And um, but the prepper community is a lot focused on doom and gloom. And it's hard not to be, you know, when you have seen the fragility of our system and you see the stupidity of people. <laughs> mm. And and so there's there's lots of things that you can do. But I say that you kind of prioritize it. And I think the food is the first priority just because you can use it, you know, a food and household items too, is another one, a good one. Uh, or if there's things that you need to stay alive, right? So if you need a CPAP, then maybe you need to look into a solar battery because that's important. Or if you have medicine, then maybe, and your medicine needs a cute little cooler, you know, same thing, or, you know, maybe working on building up a little supply of the medicine that you take, you know, all those things are, are wise to do. Wow. There's a whole gamut there at this point. I'm not going to get into trying to unpack everything. I know like for me, since I eat uh, 
mostly plant-based diet, I would be okay because I can live on rice and beans and uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches probably for weeks on end. Yeah, I'd get tired of it after a while, but you know what? If I have my hot sauce and that stuff keeps forever, so (laughs) put your hot sauce on things like that. Well, and knowing what you can deal with as well is important because like for me, I get a lot of food fatigue and so I have to plan variety, but I know other people who the food fatigue doesn't matter. They're like, oh, if if I'm hungry, I'll eat it. And then when you start projecting that onto others, well, if they're hungry, they'll eat it. I'm like, no, my brother, he was so stubborn. If we had had to live on our food storage, he would have died. Okay. He would have died. And there's plenty of studies that show that old people and and young people are at risk for that. And so that's where, you know, especially if you have a special diet, then you mm-hmm. want to kind of look at like, what do I need to store in order to, to be secure if something happens? But yeah, some people, it doesn't matter. And like, like you said, vegans are actually a really easy one. I don't know if you're vegan, but, but mostly yeah. plant-based is actually super easy to do food storage for. That's awesome. Sarah, this has been a really interesting discussion and we could probably keep going because there's so much stuff, like I said, to unpack here, but If people were interested in finding out more, reaching out to you, what would be the best way to do that? Uh, I have a website. It's called Pantry Independence. All of those are E's, by the way. It starts with an I, and then there's all E's. took me a little bit to (laughs) to get good at spelling it. Uh, Pantryindependence.com. I am just about to launch my my beginner's course uh, where we walk through things. My goal is to kind of be like a personal trainer or uh, an in-person, not in-person, but you know, a a class where you have accountability. So if you want free resources, I'm going to eventually compile a list of awesome free resources. Uh, There's tons on YouTube, but for me, I am all about like, let's walk you through this and answer your questions. Um, I also have uh, one-on-one coaching. Uh, So if you're like, let's, let's figure out all the things that I need for my situation and the things that I'm concerned about, I have that as well. And you can send me an email, Sarah, Sarah with an H, S-A-R-A-H at pantryindependence.com. Sarah at pantryindependence.com. And check out the website, pantryindependence.com. And I'll bet you'll learn a lot of things. Two quick questions before we close out today. One is the question that I ask all my guests, and that is what does being purposely positive mean to you? Well, to go along with the food storage thing, to me, purposefully positive means knowing that you can be positive even when times are hard. And so like during COVID, things were scary, but I knew that it would be okay because I had done the research and I had learned and educated myself and put the systems in place in advance that I knew would carry me through. And so I was able to be positive even though things were scary around me. Yes, being positive, even though things are scary. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to live our life. I mean, if we sat and worried about all the things bad that can happen to us, then you know we'd probably never sleep at night. And that really leads me into the last question, because again, we're talking about turning emergencies into inconveniences, and we're looking at this in a positive light. So how do we talk to people in our world about doing these things without sounding like, you know, we're a bunch of worry warts. Uh, what would you recommend for that? Two ways. One is to relate it to uh, insurance, like we talked about. So this is food insurance. You're going to have to eat. So you might as well have food in your home. The other way is to relate it to money. So, you know, if you've got an emergency fund of money, you should also have an emergency fund of food. That makes perfect reasons. sense. 
Awesome. Sarah, this has been a lot of fun today. I appreciate you being on the podcast and yeah, uh, I'd like to have you back. For sure. I would love to come back. And you've been listening to Strive to Thrive, the purposely positive podcast brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. And you may be out there and you may be having a personal emergency inside, a wake-up call moment. If you want a free resource, download a free ebook called Strive to Thrive at my website, and it'll start you living in the direction of a purposely positive life.